The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us. And as usual, we have a wonderful program for you and a wonderful guest. And I know you're going to enjoy it and be inspired and learn a lot. And that this will open up some new thoughts, some new avenues, some new experiences for you on your recovery journey. I want to thank you um, for liking us on our face by our Spirit of Recovery Facebook page for being uh, for commenting there on the Facebook page, and thank you also for sending me emails and letting me know what's happening in your spiritual journey and your recovery walk. I'm also grateful that you're letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your unity community know about us, about Spirit of Recovery here. I love broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on unityonlineradio.org, and I love hearing from you our listeners, and knowing that our guests are touching your heart. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community, and the guests that I have are always down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. Um, Oftentimes my guests are people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, or guests who have a lot to share with recovering people about topics that matter to the recovery community. And they bring practical information and uh, get lively discussions going that get you thinking about uh, some new things that you can do to be inspired and to grow in your spirituality and in your recovery. You know that you can listen to us here on Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live um, via your computer or via your smart device, and you can listen on demand uh, also live or uh, or listen on demand through your computer or through your smart device and you can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and access the uh, great archives that we have. Also, uh, there's lots of wonderful programming on Unity Online Radio and if you'd like to support that with your finances, you can send that in to Unity Online Radio at Unity Village and that is much appreciated because that helps keep all these great programs on the air. 
The Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of someone who has the disease of addiction, perhaps you're in recovery as a family member or friend or perhaps not or perhaps they are or are not in recovery. Uh, Either way, we're glad to have you listening. We're glad to have you calling in or sending in an email if you have a comment or question for my guest. We're also certainly glad to have you here participating on Spirit of Recovery. If you're just curious, just interested about the process of recovery and you just want to learn more about it, we are very glad that you are here listening with us today and welcome your comments or your questions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and an Addictions Counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And 33 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. Ever since that time, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles. And that walk keeps richly transforming my life and it keeps me growing in a wonderful and deeper ways. So I'm very grateful, very delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you about spirituality and recovery and to hear what you're experiencing in your uh, spirituality and recovery walk. Today, our topic is the spiritual meaning of money. And uh, that might sound like an oxymoron to some people, but uh, money really uh, is spiritual. And when we connect our deepest health spiritual values with our experience of and use of and relationship with money, it can make a major difference in our lives. It can really raise the quality of life. It can raise the quality of recovery. Sooner or later, recovery does call each person to face money, what it means, how we use it, and um, how it affects us. Today, my guest is a well qualified to be talking about this topic, and um, it's you're just going to be thrilled to see all that he has to share with us. My guest is Samuel Shaw. He's uh, got a Master's of Divinity. He's a registered life planner. Samuel is a Unitarian Universalist uh, transition minister, meaning that he specializes in working with congregations that are in a time of change, in a time of transition, and money is always a part of that uh, transition, dealing with money issues. He is a specialist in stewardship in money and spirit. He is, uh, he's going to be sharing with us today how to unite the very practical world of money management with self-care, with healthy boundaries, and with positive participation in life. Uh, Reverend Shaw uh, has his degree from Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University. And he has served Unitarian Universalist churches in the Midwest and the Southwest as a consulting transition minister. And he is also a registered life planner. He took uh, this uh, registration and this training, this uh, certification through the Kinder Institute of Life Planning. And I know he's going to be sharing with us uh, some more about that. And um, he's uh, creating a ministry that does focus on financial planning and linking that with spiritual values. So, uh, Sam, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, Anna. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me here. Great. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, Enthused to hear all that you have to share with us. So, let's start out and uh, talk to us a little bit about 
why it is that you think that, um, I'm making a generalization here, but it's certainly my experience that at least a lot of people have trouble connecting money and spirituality. What's the gap? Wow. I, there, there is a gap, I think, and there has been a gap there for millennia. This is nothing new. Um, I think people have, have struggled with uh, not just money and spirit, but sometimes matter and spirit, because there was a time in human civilization when we didn't have money per se. You know, people bartered for goods, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had a cow and I had a chicken, you know, we'd get a deal working, you know. Uh, money, actually, the, the, the emergence of money, uh, coinage and whatnot, uh, in various cultures actually signified a significant evolutionary step forward for civilization because suddenly you had a, a fairly easy way to assign value to things. Uh, and it, it really, it really advanced civilization a lot. I'll have more to say about that later. Um, there's this sense in just a lot of people that there's the world of materiality and there's the world of spiritual things, and those two aren't connected. Now, uh, I've been, uh, as you know, Anna, uh, you and I have talked about this, I've been hovering around unity for 30-plus years. Uh, Unity Mm -hmm. teachings are a portion of my own personal spirituality, though I'm ordained in the Unitarian Universalist tradition, the other you, the, the, the two yous get mixed up a lot, you know, unity mm-hmm. and Unitarian. Um, uh, and I know unity does a pretty good job generally of trying, I mean, the, the, the very name suggests a unity. You know, there's a, there's a unity of God and humanity. There's a unity of matter and spirit. You know, we, we exist in some way, you know, as individualized creatures within this great, unity. Uh, and I think it's a gorgeous idea. It's an elegant theology, uh, but we don't always live that out. You know, uh, it's mm-hmm. very easy to uh, separate dirty mammon from the elevated things we do, you know, in, in, in the church. You know, I, one place to start might be my own story about some of this. Uh, sure. I am not not in recovery per se, but as you know, Anna, and I'll share with your listeners, uh, I come from a recovery background. In fact, as you were doing your introduction a minute ago, I started thinking of my family background, Mm -hmm. my family of origin, as we say. And um, I guess I could describe that as being, you know, uh, a family situation of being in recovery, although for my family, I think, growing up, we were a family sort of intermittently in recovery, you know, not, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. always when we should have been, maybe. Uh, I'm the only child of an alcoholic's father and a mother who I think was a problem drinker but may not have actually stepped over that line into the disease of alcoholism. Um, she had, she seemed to give a little bit more control over it. Um, but, um, and I was literally raised in AA club. I mean, hmm. uh, my both, both my parents worked, which is kind of odd in that generation. And so my, I, and my mother was a nurse and worked, tended to work most of her life, three, three to 11, and was gone in the evening. So dad would drag me along to AA meetings, which was a, a glorious, you know, a, a, laid a glorious foundation to the spiritual life. But mm-hmm. there were significant interludes of, of not being active in AA and drinking 
you know, was, was the issue. Um, and I, and in preparing for being with you today, I was thinking about, well, what did I observe about money and all of this? I could go on and on about other things that I'd observed, you know, growing up as an only child in that crazy world. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really important that one, one place to begin to get a handle on our relationship with money, our emotional values with money, not always just what we think about it, because often what we think about something and what we really feel about something can be disjointed. And um, I think I learned a lot of a lot of things about money as a child, and not all good things, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of typical. We, uh, almost all of us, get, uh, by observing our parents and by observing life going on around us, we learn things about money that often don't serve us well later. They're appropriate for a, for a child, perhaps, uh, or appropriate for that innocent stage of life. And um, my father was not a materially successful person. He had grandiose ideas, but they, they rarely worked out. Mm-hmm. My mother was the breadwinner of the family as a nurse and brought home a paycheck. Uh, and uh, if, I, if I think about what I learned about money, I think, I think that one of the big lessons I learned about money is that you really don't have much control over it. Some <laughs> people got it, some people don't. <laughs> and there's not a lot you can do about it, you know? I mean, that seemed to be uh, money was a constant source of irritation in the family because there didn't seem to be enough to go around except when my father was drinking and was moving into grandiose behavior and would overspend, you know, mm-hmm. would, buy, would buy cars and, you know, clothes and all this kind of stuff uh, until the next cycle and we were down in the dumps again. So it was this back and forth uh, feeling kind of out of control. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't until much later in life that I realized in a deep way that, you know, I really had, a fair amount of control over this stuff, money-wise. You know, mm-hmm. if I if I live well, if I if I save, if I give appropriately, giving is very much part of overall uh, money maturity. Um, if I uh, put some desires away for the future, you know, uh, don't give in to immediate gratification on everything. You know, I can actually sort of manage my money life, and this mm-hmm. is something I learned as an adult. Uh, on my on my own, seemingly there were actually a lot of teachers that were with me. But uh, I think you and I had some in some emailing we did. You had mentioned in passing some money issues that are common in the recovery community, mm-hmm. and which got me to thinking about my own story. Uh, mm-hmm. I and I'm not as active in the recovery community now as you are. Certainly, my my ministry is not as focused on that uh, mm-hmm. as, as much as yours is, and. Tell me a little bit more about what you've observed regarding well, money values and difficulties with that. The, just what you uh, described in, with your father, that um, when alcoholism or other addiction is active, um, a lot of times there can be those cycles of feast or famine, the grandiosity, um, the overspending, and obviously creating a crisis usually um, then, because what are you going to do with the debts? that have been incurred. 
Um, so that's certainly one of the, the issues that happens in active addiction. And um, also the insecurity that that creates, which you really pre- kind of described as well, is like maybe um, whether once the person that's um, in active addiction or the family member or the child is a sense of uh, insecurity. So when people get in recovery, um, those are often the kind of issues that come up. Um, again, if, uh, if a person was a child in an alcoholic, in a home, a family where there was alcoholism, then the, those kind of things, like what does money mean? Uh, just what you're saying, how is, do I have any control over it or not? Um, maybe even fear of money. Uh, maybe either trying to garner a whole lot of it or not wanting it at all, you know, kind of a, a love-hate relationship with money. Some mm-hmm. people, you know, money was used, uh, and again, it, it, there can be a lot of layers of this depending on if one grew up in a family with alcoholism and or if one experienced it one way or the other as an adult or active addiction. Another thing is people being controlled uh, by money, you know, uh, in a in a family where there's addiction, often there's big-time issues of control and relationships, so people being bribed or um, one way or the other, you know, with money or all money mm-hmm. equated mm-hmm. with uh, control. So, again, it can be sort of a love-hate relationship. So some of those are big, yeah, big issues. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think, you know, for for people in recovery, especially and for and for that matter, for I think all of us, you know, I uh, money is just such a, a. A potential for power and good and and also at the same time, a potential for uh, some of the problems that you just suggested, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know I. Uh, there's a some of your listeners may know I don't know if and if you're old enough to remember this or not uh, I am there's a book that was printed in 1950s called the late Liz the late hmm. Liz the late the was Elizabeth the late Liz L I Z uh, Elizabeth oh, okay. uh, the oh. author the author was Elizabeth Burns uh-huh. and uh, it was uh, a true story of uh, Elizabeth Burns is growing up at the turn of the 20th century. So this was a long time ago. Uh, in the lap of luxury, she was the daughter of East Coast uh, industrialists. And I mean, truly, truly wealthy, wealthy people. And uh, her difficulties growing up were, and she turned to drink and to pills, you know, to, mm-hmm. to cope with. I met her uh, when I was in Alatine, uh, which is where my spiritual journey started when I was uh, about 16 or 17 in West Hold Texas. Hold on to that thought. It's time for our break. And uh, when okay. we're, we'll be right back. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back and, and hear about the late Liz. Our topic today is the spiritual meaning of money. And my guest is Reverend Samuel Shaw, who is a, a Unitarian Universalist uh, Transition Ministry Specialist and a registered life planner who's sharing with us about the very connection between the practical world of money management and our spiritual values. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text UNITY RADIO. 
888-222-72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. For listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. If you're just joining us, our topic today is the spiritual meaning of money. And my guest is Samuel Schall. He is a Unitarian Universalist Transitional Ministry Specialist. He has a Master's of Divinity from Perkins School of Theology. He's a registered life planner with the um, Kinder Kinder School or Institute of Life Planning. And he um, has a lot to share with us about the connection between the very practical world of money management and our spiritual values. Before I get back to my conversation with Sam, I invite you to join me for a moment called the Serenity Minute for a brief moment to relax, to make that conscious contact with um, the higher power as you understand it. So I invite you to be aware of your breath, to be aware of allowing yourself to relax and feel that peaceful presence of love of your higher power. And share with me this constructive idea. I live in divine abundance. And I trust my higher power to guide me with love and wisdom. I live in divine abundance. And I trust my higher power to guide me with love and wisdom. And now we take a moment in the quiet.
Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that that was an opportunity for you to take a moment to open up your mind in a conscious way, open up your heart to the presence and guidance, the love of your higher power. And so now I'm back to my conversation with Sam Shaw and uh, talking with us about the relationship between money and spirituality. And uh, before the break, we were talking about the idea of, of maybe some of the special issues that people in recovery um, have around money. And in some ways, they're not any different than anybody else has. They may be sometimes sort of multiplied or the, the emotional intensity of them uh, may be great. But um, it's all that, that stuff about feast and famine and security and insecurity and sometimes just lack of information about how to manage money. But uh, before the break, Sam, you were telling us about a book called The Late Liz by a woman named mm-hmm. Elizabeth mm-hmm. Burns that you actually got to meet when you were a teenager. So Yeah, um, you, uh, the, the Late Liz was a book that came out in the 1950s. It was, uh, the author was said to be Elizabeth Burns. It was her true story of growing up in the lap of luxury among a, a very wealthy East Coast family at the beginning of the 20th century um, and all of her difficulties with that, and she certainly soon turned to alcohol and drugs, and eventually found recovery. I met her in the 1970s, maybe even late 60s, uh, and she was making a circuit. Uh, she was one of our guest speakers at an Alateen conference, and I saw her a couple of times at various AA meetings. And uh, she was then in her probably 80s by that point, spitfire of energy just a fabulous woman. Her real name is Gert Bahanna, she, which isn't as melodic as Elizabeth Burns, I think, is why she wrote the book many years earlier with that fake name. And I was just, it, it, I was just so taken with her. Uh, in, in many ways, her story was the same kind of stories I heard growing up in AA, in the same kind of stories we told in our team, you know, uh, our, our meetings and our program, you know, were based on the trust that model, just like AA. Um, but she had such a colorful and exciting life. And um, uh, she says in her, and it, it's hard for me to properly communicate her energy because she was just this really spitfire of a woman and spoke with authority and with power. And one thing I, I, she said that I, I have always remembered uh, because she struggled mightily with money because of the wealth background of, of her upbringing. And she said at one point, she said in her raspy voice, money is like bricks. You can build a temple or you can stone somebody to death. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah. You know, that really is true. How how often do we see that, you know? And that says something to me about the choices we make and the power and the agency we have over money and how we can use it for good or for bad. And so for the longest time, I kind of thought of money as something as neutral, that you could use it for good or for bad. Uh, and I have since come around to the idea that as much as I love Gert, she passed on several years after that. Um, uh, <laughs> incidentally, uh, uh, moviegoers, uh, Anne Baxter played her in a 1970s movie by the same title, The Late Liz, uh, and it was like not a memorable motion picture, unfortunately, 
I was one of about a half a dozen people in the theater that night, um, in very forgettable film, but actually, uh, for those of us from a recovery background, it's it, it very touching. Um, I now see money not simply as a neutral element, but as something that's actually positive uh, and good. It can certainly be used in a not-so-good way. I want to quote here just briefly from uh, George Kinder, who I have, I'll have more to say about. He's, the, uh, he's a financial uh, planner who mm-hmm. uh, is actually known in the financial planning industry as the father of life planning, which I'll talk about more in a few minutes. Life mm-hmm. planning is uh, uh, a skill that some financial planners use with their clients just to, to help them uncover their real dreams and hopes and uh, find out more about them personally so, so that the financial plan fits what's really going on in that person's life. Uh, George has written many books. Uh, one of his earlier early ones, that, uh, which is what drew me into uh, the, the life planning practice myself, is called Seven Stages of Money Maturity. Um, and here he's talking about just a thumbnail history of money. You know, uh, there was a time, as I mentioned earlier, that we bartered for things. We didn't have uh, means of exchange. Uh, if I if I needed meat, you know, and you had cloth, we might uh, you had you had meat and I had cloth and you needed cloth, we might do a deal. And it was a very inefficient way of getting what we needed uh, to to live. Uh, George says in in his book The Seven Stages, he says the invention of money came from a profound understanding of the nature of human relationships. Barter based on immediate needs limited the kind of exchange. He said, but with money, money widened the realm of giving and receiving. It fostered new relationships between individuals and added to the human capacity for freedom. With money, an infinity of gifts could be given and an infinity received. Money created a new limitless world, one rooted in our sense of fairness and reciprocity with one another, a world similar to what we think of as paradise or the habitation of the divine. The stamping of ancient coins with the images of gods and goddesses signaled the insight that money was a divine gift that it facilitated the deepest understanding of all the religious teachings. And he goes on to talk about how money invites us into relationships of freedom with each other, and relationships of integrity. Now, granted, you know, <laughs> The relationships we have with each other and where we sometimes use money in not good ways, you know, we, we don't necessarily have relationships of freedom and integrity. You know, you can certainly, as, as Gert says, you can, you know, you can stone somebody to death uh, with money. Um, but he speaks, I think, very eloquently of how both historically and in kind of a very spiritual way now, um, money is an exchange of good and of agency. I love the word agents. Uh, mm-hmm. Power would be a, perhaps a central term for that. Um, but we are created, and this is very close to unity thinking, we are created uh, by the sacred uh, as, as creatures of power and of agency. You know, it matters how we live our lives. It matters what we do with the gifts that are given to us. 
And uh, money is one of the most remarkable gifts. And so it, 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 it's an invitation. To some degree, an invitation into the spiritual life. And I know that sounds really odd. And I grapple with how to describe that more concisely. Um, in fact, Anna, I, I had promised you that I would talk about how money is a door to the soul. And I thought, oh, that's a, that's a neat term. Shaw, you did really good at that. How do I define that now? You know? Right. And, and I don't. I'm still, I, I, I struggle with how to do that concisely, but that, I think George's definition of, of money um, is, an, is an opening into that because mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it just, it gives us such great capacity for good. And the sad part is that a lot of spiritual seekers, a lot of well-intentioned, good spiritual seekers, um, don't bring that concept of money into their spiritual arsenal. Or they think that it's good to distance, that, you know, spiritual people don't get involved in materiality, you know. Uh, uh, in fact, I, I found when I moved last year, I found an, an essay I had written when I was in college uh, for my fraternity the year I was pledging it. Uh, we had to write, a, I guess, a one-page essay sort of describing our hopes and dreams. And, and I couldn't put my hand on it for, for this program. I wish I, I could have. Uh, and I talked about how I wanted to, after college, I wanted to go into a life of service and serve people and do good things, you know. Uh, at that point, I was, my major in college was sociology because I figured uh, that was a major that would that I could use to help people. That was my thing. Coming out of the 12-step movement, you know, mm-hmm. as a teenager, uh, I, if there was any way I could have turned being an Alateen or an Al-Anon into a full-time paying vocation, I would have done it. So that's what uh-huh. I wanted to do with my life. But the, the vocational aspects are rather, <laughs> rather limited, you know. And uh, so, uh, so I've drawn a sociology. And this essay I wrote, I, I just went on and on about, you know, doing good in the world. And I said at one point that I don't want to be too uh, hypnotized by materiality. Uh, mm. I want to make a decent living, but I don't want to have so much money that it becomes an issue. I mean, on, in writing, I put it down there saying I don't want to do well financially. I mean, I didn't put it quite that concisely, but I almost did. Mm-hmm. And when I read that about a year ago, I laughed out loud phrase among us, but I really did, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, young Sam, (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to disengage myself from the material world and Mm -hmm. live in that innocent bubble uh, that uh, I had experienced in Palatine, and I don't say that to denigrate the experience, it was an experience that helped me live in the real world, but but for me at that time, I, I was just very much wanting to just to kind of live there and not get out in the real world. Some of that may be typical adolescent mm-hmm. college behavior, you know, because you're, mm-hmm. you're busy trying to figure out what it means to be uh, grown up. Um, and I think, I think quite a few spiritual folks have that. Now, in unity, uh, unity kind of brings money into the equation uh, more than some spiritual traditions do. And maybe the temptation is less, but I'm I'm we're still 
I would still think that there's still all kinds of money issues to be able to bring money in an appropriate way into the mm-hmm. spiritual quest, you know, mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. Um, without getting into greed and without using money as an expression of how much God loves us. Or right. Put it in. Mm-hmm. Well, to put it in new thought speak of how much we're demonstrating, I suspect that might be a little bit of Yes. Yeah, that could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my in my religious tradition of Unitarian Universalism, it's just the opposite. You know, uh, we tend to uh, look askance at anybody with wealth. You know, uh, we, we love to demonize the one percent uh, until we get time for stewardship. You know, for the annual canvas drive, and then we, you know, <laughs> we, we, we sort of like them for a while. Um, That's so right. I, That's I the dilemma my, right there. Uh-huh. I think I think my work in Unitarian Universalism is different than would be my work in Unity if I served there. But you get far enough down, and I think the roots of it are, are share some common cultural uh, a- apprehensions about money. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell us some more about you about um, about life planning and sort of. It, I'm guessing that life planning tries to make a bridge between the these different uh, confusions we have about money and and really linking it with our, um, with very, our very much and and paradoxically perhaps um, it's a wisdom that came out of the financial planning community mm-hmm. not any particularly any spiritual tradition uh, life planning is kind of a broad term and it can mean a lot of different things I mean it's not a trademark term so if a if a person or a financial planner present him or herself as a life planner, you know, you, that can mean several different things. Um, back in the 19, early 1990s, uh, there were two financial planners, uh, both certified financial planners. They held the CFP designation, uh, George Kendall, who I've quoted, and uh, another gentleman named Dick Wagner, and George, uh, in his book, The Seven Stages, George tells his own story of, uh, of being, when he was in college, when he was the age I was when I told that story a minute ago, he had, I, I think, kind of a similar experience. He loved art and he loved literature and he didn't want to mess with uh, the business world and, and all that, but he couldn't figure out how to make money. So he went into the business world because... You know, he figured that's what we do, and he figured I'll I'll make money there, but on on the side I'll I'll do the fun stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, very much a spiritual seeker in some ways, and he ended up searching uh, for ways to better bridge those two spheres of his life, um, and. So in the 1990s, he and uh, George Kendall and Dick Wagner, two financial planners, started talking, and they, had, they shared some common concerns that the financial planning community was not dealing with the emotional side of wealth and not, okay. not helping Hold on to that. It's time that. for our break, mm-hmm. and we'll be right back and um, hear some more about that. That's really an important piece. Listeners, stay with us. We're at Spirit of Recovery. We're talking about the spirituality of money. My guest is Samuel Shaw, and we'll be right back.
Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit Unity Online Radio and click on Mobile Listening. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Um, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. If you're just joining us, our topic today is the spiritual meaning of money. My guest is Samuel Shaw. He is a Unitarian Universalist minister and a registered life planner. And Sam is sharing with us about this connection between our spiritual values and money and how um, money and spirituality uh, really are not opposites, but they are very much connected. So, um, again, so glad that you're with us today, Sam. Before the break, you were talking about the financial planning um, profession and how it developed and that that these two men who developed it basically were concerned that the, their profession was not addressing people's emotional relationship with money. And I'm guessing that it was kind of putting a block in things for people. So tell us some more about that. How did they make that connection? Well, they, uh, uh, they got to know each other and shared a lot of the same concerns about that. And George went on to really make a career. George kind of invented the concept of life planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the Kinder approach, you know, he has a particular model uh, that he teaches financial advisors on uh, how to talk to clients up front before you get into the minutia of the finances to find out who is that person really? What does he or she want to do in life? You know, you get into some, some kind of deep stuff using really it's a very simple model. Uh, it reminded me, and I'm sure you've been trained in pastoral care, you know, and deep listening and some of those tools we have as ministers. And it was using a lot of those same tools, which is what drew me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from George's work and his various books and uh, Dick Wagner as well, there's been several different versions of, of life planning come out. George's is the, is the larger, uh, the, the most well-known. I, in one of my previous churches, um, just looking for a, a book to, to use in a book study group, uh, a, a, Along the along these lines of 
a better understanding of the role of money in our lives emotionally and spiritually. I found the book Seven Stages of Money Maturity and used it and got turned on and took Georgia's first class and ended up going all the way through to become a registered life planner, even though I'm not a financial planner. I'm one of mm-hmm. the few who, who is not. Uh, although I'm taking classes now in, uh, to become a certified uh, financial planner myself and, and someday go into the practice within ministry, I think. Um, because again, the, 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 the emotional and spiritual aspects of money are tied to the physical. I, w- one thing I'd mentioned to you, Anna, uh, I, I think one, to approach money from a spiritual point of view, um, I think you can approach any difficulty that a person is having with money, just like any other challenges a person has. It has both a spiritual and a material aspect. Now, we know ultimately these are connected. These are not two separate spheres, but mm-hmm. they still sort of show themselves with distinctive things. Um, I think the wealth we have, whether uh, modest or great, and incidentally, it doesn't matter, you know, money maturity has very little to do with how much you have and much more to do with your relationship to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer to money problems is not always more money unless you are truly in poverty, which is not mm-hmm. the case, thank goodness for most of it. Um, I think of a person's wealth as, to some degree, as part of that person's body or that corpus. Sometimes a lawyer, I think, or an estate planner might speak of the corpus of an estate, meaning the holdings, you know, the wealth, the property, the bank accounts, et cetera. And if that's true, and I think it, that sounds strange because money is in some way so abstract, there's nothing there. And, you know, it, it's numbers on a balance sheet. Uh, we don't even use cash as much as we used to use because there are things on the credit card. Um, but if you approach it as the, the corpus of the finances of the body, you know that just as in spiritual care, the body needs tending to. You know, when I people walk into my office as a pastor, as I'm sure Anna they do for you, and with all kinds of challenges, you know, losing a loved one, getting a divorce, uh, uh, difficulty with family or with children, and when somebody faces something very serious, like the loss of a long-term spouse, which is uh, more than more common situation, and somebody's in very deep grief or going through a divorce, I always try to remember to tell them, be sure and take care of your body. That even if you don't feel like eating, eat decent. You know, try mm-hmm. to get sleep. Get a little bit of exercise, whatever's appropriate for you. You know, don't let the, because if, if you harm the body, the body opposes the spirit. You know, you, to, to mm-hmm. breathe or to get through the situation, you know, you need your body to be, to be functioning well. So don't forget about the body. People in, gr- in deep grief, very often they lose their appetite and they don't want to eat. And that's why we bring casseroles to, to the home right. for those who, who are grieving. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important part of that person's spiritual support. Well, I think when you sit down with someone to talk about your money, you sit down with a financial planner, you're exposing that body to that person. And there's a certain sense of relief 
uh, an eye finally myself by the financial planner a few years ago, and I'm not a person of great means, incidentally. Uh, I realized that once I laid out all the sheets, you know, I said, well, here's what I've got, there was a certain good feeling I had that this person really knows me in mm-hmm. a way that others don't, you know. And for me, it is a sign of my own life how much this is part of my real life. Now, that's not something I would share with everybody. I don't need to. You know, it is personal. Uh, it was my financial planner, you know, idea. And it led me to the idea that, wow, financial planning can be a very pastoral profession. And I know from uh, having spent some time with financial planners that uh, that is true for many of them, not all of them, but for, for many of them. Um, and on the idea of the body, I think it's important to kind of talk about it all isn't about spiritual stuff. I mean, it's ultimately, it's, it's all spiritual, but to live in money maturity, we, we need, everyone needs a certain amount of very basic financial skill. And if you don't have it, there are plenty of places to go to get, you know, being able to uh, use debt well and to get out of debt. Uh, mm-hmm. Debt is such a difficulty with so many people. There's a, there was a story that hit the news just this last week that one-third of households, one-third of the debt, one-third of credit card holders, maybe that was it, have debt in collection, meaning that wow. you know, meaning they're not paying their bills. I mean, that was just wow. an incredible amount. Mm-hmm. The average uh, credit card debt, it depends on the study and what precisely it's studying, is any, that the, the average credit card holder has anywhere from... Uh, Seven to fifteen thousand dollars of debt on the credit card, and mm-hmm. that's just not a good use of credit cards. And I know I have my own uh, uh, story to tell there. There was a time in my life ten years ago when things came together not in such a good way. I was helping to pay college for my two, pay college tuition for my two boys who who uh, were in college. My mother uh, was. Uh, needing financial help. She had not prepared financially for the later stages of life. I was in a uh, congregation at that point where I wasn't getting paid as much as I'm used to getting paid, uh, and I was carrying around credit card debt from uh, going out to eat all the time and from buying clothes more than I should have, perhaps nothing terribly outrageous. I mean, it's it like I had a whole lot of stuff to show for it, but I was carrying uh, at the height, about $32,000 of credit card mm-hmm. on a salary that was not very high uh, mm-hmm. with family responsibility. And uh, uh, and it just took me a while to figure out how to do it. Uh, but I did. And just slowly but surely, I put myself on a spending plan. I stopped going out to eat. I became very aware of how much every month I was spending in service charges. I learned how to do a debt ratio. Your debt ratio is the ratio of your debt to your income. And so every month when I would itemize my bills, I would look and I would see how much money I spent that month on credit, uh, on, on interest charges and what my debt ratio was. And slowly, month after month, I saw those things decrease. And that was to some degree tending to the body of my finances. I was getting serious. Yes, I was mm-hmm. pregnant. Yes, I was I was mindful of using money well. Yes, I was giving uh, to my to my spiritual community, to my church, but I was also taking care of the body, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you can't 
you can't have a successful relationship with money without doing And I want to say, too, how important it is to teach our children good money habits. Um, Because, again, as a kid, nobody nobody sat me down, talked to me about money. I just learned by osmosis, which is, you know, not not a good way to learn most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just bought my five-year-old grandson, uh, because he was finally old enough to get this, um, a, a piggy bank which is not mm-hmm. unusual. Uh, but this piggy bank was unusual. It had, it didn't have just one slot for money. It has four slots for money. And each of those compartments is labeled on the pig. You can see it. One, is, one slot is for money you want to spend. One slot is for money you want to save for short-term needs, like for a kid that might be a special toy. One slot is saving for long-term needs, like for a kid that might be college expenses. And one slot is forgiving. And that beautifully and elegantly and simply talks about, you know, the four avenues of spending and saving and giving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you can, if we can teach our kids, for me and my grandkids, to do that, you know, when they're older, they will have developed good money habits. Because back to the practical money habit, uh, if in your 20s you set aside, you know, if you get a small inheritance or you've got some money set aside and you've got $20,000, say, or $10,000 or whatever to set aside and to be mindful of it to grow, don't just stick it in a savings account where it doesn't earn good interest, but really invest it well, that can be a huge pile of money when you get ready to retire. Um, mm-hmm. There really is magic to to this stuff, but you've got to save it. You know, if you start saving in your forties, you can still do it. It's never too late, but you just can't get as much saved. And I just think this pig was <laughs> mm-hmm. such a beautiful, beautiful, uh, elegant way of uh, of teaching, reminding me and teaching all of us of uh, you know of good money habits uh, because you got to do that. Uh, just like when you get sick, uh, you want to you want to pray about it. You, know, you want to know that that, that the God is there helping you manifest pure and perfect health, which is the birthright. But you also need to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. need to eat well and get rest and take care of yourself. You know, mm-hmm. and money is the same way. You know, you've got to pray about it. You've got to know it's a gift from God and it needs to be used well. And you got to physically take care of it. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you don't know how. Uh, and there's plenty of places to get help and knowing how to do that. What might be a resource, or not like one specific, but how would somebody uh, locate a resource to help them learn some good money habits? Well, if you're, um, if you're needing a financial planner, and uh, typically people from moderate means upward might deal with a financial planner, there, there are two really good places to look. Uh, especially middle-income people uh, might do well with getting a fee-only financial planner. This is a this is a planner who just charges by the hour, mm-hmm. takes no commissions, has no percentage of uh, of, of assets under management, uh, and a really good source for for uh, that is uh, NAPFA, N-A-P-F-A dot com, I think it is, dot, dot org, N-A-P-F-A, that stands for the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. 
Mm-hmm. Another good source is uh, uh, CFP.net, standing for Certified Financial Planner. There they list all of the Certified Financial Planners. Uh, the CFP is not the only, but becoming the primary designation uh, for planners who tend to uh, create their practice uh, not always spiritually, as I've talked about here, but they are certainly more open to it, and they do it in a comprehensive way. Uh, and in general, there's just all kinds of good books on the market um, for you know how to how to manage your money. Uh, uh, the usual gurus uh, uh, that you, you see on television and on the radio, you know, have some good stuff. Sometimes their advice is one size fits all, but by and large, it's it's basic stuff of get out of debt, uh, manage money well, have a spending plan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so a visit to your local bookstore or, or online, you know, to look under personal finance. Uh, you, you just find all, all kinds of good things. Local community colleges, colleges uh, of various kinds, uh, sometimes local United Way organizations have uh, typically free seminars on the basics of financial management. Google around on the internet gets you lots of good stuff. Just make sure it's a good, valid source, you know. And you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can pretty well tell, you know, if they're promising to make you a millionaire in a month, that's probably not a good source. Um, uh, and in fact, the online world has given us all kinds of good stuff, uh, budgeting help and calculators to uh, uh, figure out things, uh, planning for retirement, which is critically important. We know again from studies that most, the average American is not ready for retirement. And as a life planner, I'm concerned not just about getting a person ready for retirement, but uh, in fact, I think we need to kind of reframe the idea of retirement. And uh, what are you retiring to? You know, you want to, in retirement, keep up your mission in life. Uh, you do need to be prepared for probably making money. Just mm-hmm. work until you drop dead is not a good plan. My mom always said, I'll just work till I drop dead. Well, it didn't, <laughs> didn't come out that way for her, you know. Mm-hmm. There came a point when she couldn't work, you know. And uh, that's not a good, that's magical thing, and that doesn't get it. Um, um, but there's just all kinds of good resources. Uh, certainly, I can be contacted. I'm happy to refer, you know, uh, as best I can. Um, but overall, I just think it's really important that we, that we, Again, to talk about uh, talk about money, I would you know if I were recommending. Well, actually, if I were ma- recommending a book right now, George Kinder has a brand new book out called Life Planning for You, where it's designed for those who who uh, won't or can't uh, go mm-hmm. to a financial planner, and who this book helps the person life plan yourself. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. Unfortunately, our our time is up, but. Um, Sam, thank you so much for being my guest. It's, this has been great. Very helpful, very practical, me. getting us tied into the, our, our spiritual values and getting that money connected to it. Great. It's been a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. It's been the Spiritual Meaning of Money. My guest is uh, Sam Shaw, Unitarian Universalist Minister and Registered Life Planner. Uh, thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time. 
for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Things may happen around you, things may happen to you, but the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Rev. Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. Life is hard. And sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.